0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Hey, what's up, New Orleans? What's up across the Gulf South? And are you listening wherever you are tonight at wwl.com and the radio.com app? Welcome back to the show, NBA Draft Week some party music or something here. It's NBA Draft Week, y'all. We should, we should be celebrating this here in the city of New Orleans. Is It's not often do you win the draft lottery. And it's not often that you win the draft lottery when you have the most highly regarded prospect coming out of college since well, LeBron James. What is that, 17 years? It's pretty special. We've got a lot to cover tonight. We've got lots of great guests tonight. Lots of Pelicans talk first two hours. And, and we're going to be talking about possibilities of trading that number four overall pick we'll talk draft and we'll talk really a philosophy that I believe the Pelicans should hold true to not everybody does and just opinions I know Bobby uh, he I think he agrees with me for the most part but he also uh, disagrees with me a little bit and he was talking about it on the program on sports talk that that the Pelicans should try to win some games now to make sure this fan base stays energized but I think it's a it's a solid argument and you can see why that, that Bobby believes that, and he doesn't want to see this this city, and I think this comes from a place of really great passion for Bobby, he doesn't want to see this city be so apathetic to basketball when you have Zion Williamson here, and I think he maybe he's a little worried about that happening, should say they missed the playoffs the first couple of years, then they are going to have fans saying, oh boy, here we go again, it's the Anthony Davis era all over again. But I'm going to talk about why the Pelicans really need to be patient in my mind, and not worry about that. We'll get to that. Jake Madison's on the program at 8.32, Locked on Pelicans podcast. We'll go national with Kyle Boone, NBA draft and college basketball writer for CBS Sports. Talking a little NBA draft in hour number two. And we got to talk some Saints today. There were two big Saints news items. One, according to Diana, uh, Diana Rossini of ESPN, the Saints are ready and willing to make Michael Thomas the highest paid receiver in the NFL as they negotiate this extension and that's no surprise we did an entire show on it last week well maybe not an entire show but certainly a big portion of our show on this last week when Sean Payton unprompted in a post minicamp press conference said well yeah Michael Thomas is going to be next he's going to be the next guy we resign and that came after Cam Jordan's uh, extension so no surprise at all to me anymore now there's a debate to be had On whether that's the right decision or not. So Mike Triplett will come on the show in the ten o'clock hour. We'll talk that. Also, Mickey Loomis saying Drew Brees will retire whenever he wants to retire, and he doesn't know when that's going to happen. Women's World Cup still ongoing, college World Series. Both games rain delayed today. We'll talk that in hour three. Teddy Cahill of baseballamerica.com will also be on the show. Our Blue Runner Gumbo Opinion Poll today at WWL.com. How confident are you in Alvin Gentry? We bring this up because Alvin Gentry had that option picked up yesterday on his contract where he'll be in New Orleans or at least under contract here in New Orleans for the next two seasons. If everything falls apart this next year, you don't see any growth from these young players, they'll, they'll likely jettison Alvin Gentry before he gets to year two. I don't think this was deserved for Alvin Gentry. He doesn't need to go into this first season with Zion Williamson as a lame duck coach. But he's only made the playoffs three times in his head coaching career. Only three times. Not all his fault. He's been in charge of some very dysfunctional franchises, including the one here, before this reset of the front office and ownership over the last year or so. So how much of this do you blame on Alvin Gentry? And how confident are you in Alvin Gentry? You can cast your vote at WWL.com or the radio.com app. Phone lines are open right now for you. If you want to talk some Pelicans with us as we get ready for the NBA draft on Thursday, 504-260-1870. That's 504-260-1870. And, of course, our text line is 870-870. Here's an all-caps text. I'm not sure if Christian read this one. Uh, I think they should trade back from four and get the 810. I think that kid from North Carolina, uh, Cameron Johnson, is a nice ten pick. That kid can shoot. Now, that texter is referencing trading back with Atlanta, who holds the number ten and number eight picks in this draft. Atlanta has made it clear publicly that they are interested in trading up from those spots higher in the draft. But here's the problem with the Pelicans and why they've lost a little leverage with that number four pick, because it seems like everybody is is at least open to trading back. Even Memphis now, who holds the number two pick, as all of a sudden whispers are, well, they may be interested in moving back a little bit. Same with the Knicks. Same with the Pelicans. So when you have this slew of teams at the top of the draft willing to trade back, well, that means there's a lot of supply and maybe even eclipsing the demand. Chicago at number seven also interested in trading up. We'll get to that more when we talk the NBA draft in hour number two. But I do want to mention, and I'm not going to go on a huge monologue at the start of the show because it does piggyback on what I was saying yesterday. But I just want to reinforce this because I, I truly believe this to my core. That if the Pelicans want to avoid the mistakes of the previous regime, avoid the mistakes of Dell Dempson, and how they they lit this entire Anthony Davis era on fire, you've got to exercise some extreme patience with your team-building philosophy, with the development of these young players, even in the face of the expected and inevitable fan criticism that comes your way when you're not winning enough games in their mind in the first couple of years. Now, if you look at what Dell Demps did during his tenure with Anthony Davis, he... And Tom Benson and Mickey Loomis and everybody in that Pelican's front office, they saw an apathetic fan base, empty Smoothie King Center, declining television ratings, and they wanted to energize that fan base and were willing to do just about anything to make that happen, including mortgaging their long-term future with Anthony Davis, their championship possible championship window with Anthony Davis, in order to win more games in the immediate traded draft picks, trading young players, acquiring veterans, acquiring veterans on bad contracts, doing everything they could to put more Ws in that win column, make the playoffs, and that didn't work except for a couple of times in the seven years, and it spectacularly backfired. I'll say it again. And again, this is why I'm not going on this long diatribe because I mentioned it yesterday, but it's worth reinforcement. Then unless you want to go down that road again, unless you want the same thing to happen to the Zion-Williamson era that happened to the Anthony Davis era, you've got to be patient. You, you cannot pursue winning more games now when that costs you opportunities to be better down the road. The goal for the Pelicans is what? Is it to make the playoffs in the next couple of years? Or is the goal for the Pelicans to win titles or at least compete for titles during the Zion-Williamson era? It better be the latter and if that's the goal, that's not going to happen until three, four, five, six years down the road. That's what you're building for. Sure, it'd be nice. Make the playoffs. Have some postseason basketball. We saw how that fun that was in the city. The experience of playing in the postseason is important, no doubt, for the young players who have never been there before. But that doesn't trump winning a championship or at least the pursuit of that down the road. Let's go to the phone lines. Pierre and Chili Gentili. What's going on, uh Pierre? Certainly not Chili Gentili right now. What's up?
2: No, not Chili Gentili. Uh rainy gentillies.
1: Yeah, it was it was nasty out there today, man. I was I, I live uh, kinda of over in Broadmoor and it was just it was gross today.
2: It was it was bad yesterday also, but I wanted to ask you um I heard him talking on uh, Sports Talk about um, Zion being a better shooter, but with his size, how good of a shooter do you think he needs to be?
1: Well, in the NBA, I mean, I don't, I, that's that seems like an easy answer. I don't know how you want me to answer that. He's, he's got to be a good shooter at the NBA level or he's not going to be the great player that everybody thinks he's going to be. I don't care how you know physically gifted you are, Pierre. If you can't shoot the basketball, you're going to be Ben Simmons. Right? I mean, look at Ben Simmons and his struggles in in Philadelphia. He can be a great player, but Pierre, what's the problem with Simmons and what's holding him back? His ability to shoot the basketball anywhere from about five feet on out, right?
2: And you're right, you're right. But what I was thinking is maybe we can get – I mean, he has to get better with his shooting, but what I was thinking is at his size and how much he's going to penetrate, they're going to have to double him, which means somebody's going to be open. And he can get get the ball out to the shooters.
1: Yeah, well, here's the thing. And I think this is – you bring up a a good point. Yes, he's got to develop his shooting. He's not an elite shooter. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. But here's the thing. This whole storyline that Zion Williamson is a poor shooter has been vastly overblown. He shot 68% from the field at Duke. It's not like Duke is playing – the cupcakes all year long they're in the ACC the toughest basketball conference in America with some of the elite defenses in America he shot 68 percent from the field this last year he also shot 34 percent from three-point range it's going to take him time to develop that at the NBA level especially the outside game It took LeBron James a few years to develop his three-point shot. Quite a few years, actually, to really develop that three-point shot where he was a legitimate threat every possession from the outside. Zion Williamson has to get there if he's going to become the generational talent that everybody thinks he can be. got a little bit of a funky shot, he does, but it's not Lonzo Ball funky where he's shooting from his opposite shoulder. Something to watch. But I, I do think, and I've heard this a lot over the last, what, three, four days, that well, Zion Williamson doesn't shoot very well. That could be an issue. Well, it's, it's just been overblown. I mean, er, er, almost every player coming out of college has areas where they need to develop. Maybe it's just pointing out the obvious. But I, I don't – it's not something that I would consider, like, a critical red flag next to Zion Williamson. 504-260-1870. That's the phone number. Area code five zero four two six zero one eight seventy. 504-260-1870. And our text line is eight seventy eight seventy. 870 Here's a text from the 985. Help, I'm overdosing on the NBA. Ah, there's, there's no such thing as an NBA OD on draft week. We'll be back with more. I'm Seth Dunlap. It's Ron and Logan behind the glass here on WWL. Yeah, I I see a lot of this, and this is people who think that they know more than NBA scouts know. I don't have a monopoly on opinions. I'm not saying that everything I say on on this program is the absolute truth and gospel, coming any sport. But you've got to trust the people who evaluate college basketball players every day. And I've seen this so much from a select few people who either are just anti-pelicans or they're just hot take artists who want to get maybe their text and phone numbers and calls on, you know, live radio, live TV. This text from the 504 says, I'm talking about Zion Williamson shooting issues. It's not overblown, Seth. He needs a lot of work on his pull-up skills. He will never, ever be able to do that in the NBA. It's too slow from hip to head. So he he's never, ever going to be able to shoot in the NBA. I don't really get your text here. Does he need a little work? Yes. I, nobody's ever saying that. It's not, it is overblown. You're talking about a guy that shot nearly 70% from the floor because he's nearly unstoppable in getting to the rim. You don't need a mid-range game, an exceptional mid-range game anymore in the NBA for the most part, for the most part you've got to have some mid-range scoring ability but this is about getting to the rim and shooting the three that's how this league has evolved if he can develop a three-point shot he's already got an innate incredible ability to shed you know defenders and really double teams that have come when you if you watched him at duke he was getting doubled sometimes triple teamed all the time it didn't matter again he shot 68% from the floor it's not an issue it's something that just needs developing. Text from the 504. Hey, this is Joseph. Who is the best shooter the Pelicans can get with the fourth overall pick in the NBA draft? Well, I'll stop you right there. It's it's Darius Garland. This guy is maybe the most electric scorer outside of Zion in the NBA draft. Point guard from Vandy, was a freshman last year. The dude shot nearly 50% from three. The only reason why I'm not... Sold that the Pelicans will keep that pick and take Garland is because he plays a position that the Pelicans just traded for, traded for Lonzo Ball. Could Lonzo play alongside uh, Darius Garland? Sure, but you're not going to have Garland, Lonzo Ball, and Drew Holiday on the floor at the same time. I know it's a positionless NBA, and when I say you're not going to, I'm not saying ever. It might happen, you know, in rare circumstances but that's not going to be a rotation that you're going to run out there all the time. It's just not. You'd be massively undersized. Although Zion, uh, excuse me, Lonzo has a little size, so does Drew, but you don't want, to want either of those players or obviously Darius Garland, who's a pure point guard. At least he played that in college, uh, playing at the three. But to answer your question, that was a long answer, but to answer your question, it's Darius Garland, who's a sensational shooter. It'd be interesting to see him get picked up, but this is the guy that... It, Everybody believes these teams like Chicago and Atlanta are trying to trade up and grab. Because outside of the big three, Zion, Jaw, and R.J. Barrett, there seems to be kind of a coalescing of opinion that it is Darius Garland, the fourth best player in this draft. Not a sure thing like either of those other three players, though. Back to the phone lines we go. Terry and Marrero, what's going on tonight?
2: Not much, Seth. Look, I-, I disagree with you a little bit when you say you got to develop a three-point shot. I think you need to develop a go-to shot, whatever that might be. You, everybody, every NBA player, whether it's the Skyhook, the Dream Shake, uh, whatever shot you get to, you have to get to that shot, and you have to be able to know that you're going to get to that shot. You look at LaMarcus Aldridge, you go, when you turn over his right shoulder, you know that's buckets. He can't necessarily shoot the three, but his mid-range game is, is off the chart. You look at what Kawhi Leonard did in the NBA playoffs, just his ability to get to his spot, take his time, and elevate man, and he can kick the ball out to the three-point shooters.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think when it comes to uh, my man Dion uh, uh, Williamson, once
1: he developed, whatever that shot might be, junk Whatever that might be, I don't know. No, I I see. Well, Terry, you bring up a good point. You don't. Not every player has to shoot lights out from three. If I, if it seemed like I was saying that, I'm not saying he's got to be, you know, a 40 percent three point shooter, a 45 percent three point shooter. But here's the reality of the top scores in the NBA right now. The top 10 scores in the league, they all shot at least 32 percent from three. And if you take out uh, Paul George, and you take out the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's you know a six eleven guy who plays around the basket for the most part, everybody else shot at least thirty six percent from three. The top scores in the NBA. It's it's just the way the game has evolved. And remember Zion for all of his size, and by size I mean his strength and physicality. He's not a relatively tall guy. He's six seven, inch shorter than LeBron James. Shouldn't be an issue for the position that he's going to play. He's going to play kind of a 3-4. He'll project as a 4 right now, and they'll likely uh, play Brandon Ingram at the 3. But if he wants to be an elite-level scorer in the NBA, in my mind, he absolutely has to develop that three-point shot. Uh, thanks for the call, Terry. Steve in home. I want to squeeze you in only about 45 seconds, though, Steve. What's up?
3: Hey, Seth. I was just wondering in that fourth pick, what am I going with a big, big man? center uh the, the, like that guy from Michigan that played from Germany
1: yeah the, senior? I, 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 well yes but here's the problem the only big guys that you're going to get you can get them later there, there's nobody projected whether you're talking about um oh maybe a guy like a Brandon Clark who's a 6'10 guy or Rui Hachimura who's a six nine guy those guys you can get around picks 10 to 11 a bowl bowl is predicted to go now late teens early 20s he's the 7-2 freshman you don't have to use your fourth pick on that yeah you're right I'd like to see them pick up you know a, a big guy that can help their front court but you don't need to use the fourth pick on that good point though back with Jake Madison next Here's a text from the 504. Lonzo Ball will never wear a Pelicans uniform. Where is this coming from? I'm not picking on anybody, and you know what? If if Lonzo Ball is traded, which is in the realm of possibilities, it certainly is, I will fall on every sword that there is on this program. I will. I'll be the first one to come here, and we'll do segments making fun of me and, and, and you know, my apparently a movable stance on this. But why would the Pelicans trade for a young point guard that was the number two overall pick two years ago, one of the centerpieces in this Anthony Davis trade alongside Brandon Ingram and the fourth overall pick this season, and they have been searching for a young point guard that can stabilize this position for, for years to come since Chris Paul left, they finally have found a guy that at least projects as that. And now we have people all across the, the city and the region. And it's not just this text. So That's why I say I'm not picking on you. I have heard it from a multitude of people. It, 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 that would It boggles my mind to think that the Pelicans would do that. It doesn't make any sense in my mind. The only way this would make sense, and here's the exception that I'll give you, and it goes back to Darius Garland. We were talking about uh, somebody asked on the text line, who's the best shooter in this draft? If if the Pelicans feel like they cannot swing that number four pick into valuable enough assets where it makes sense for them to trade back, then maybe you do have a situation where, well, do you want Darius Garland and Lonzo Ball on this team at the same time? Maybe they do long-term. Having Lonzo and Darius, if Drew, remember he's got three years left on his contract, you can develop those guys, one of them comes off the bench, probably Darius at first. But... Everybody everybody's saying that, they, and everybody, I mean everybody, that's obviously hyperbole, but so many people saying that, that Lonzo Ball will never wear a Pelicans uniform boggles my mind. Let's bring Jake Madison in to talk about this. Host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast, at Nola Jake on Twitter. He's ready for the NBA draft. What's going on tonight, buddy?
4: Uh, not too much. Thanks for having me on, Seth.
1: Yeah, okay, so I, I said, and you probably heard a little bit of that there, and I will be the first to admit, I don't have any inside information on this, and everybody else could be right, and I could be completely wrong, but I just don't see any way that this team trades Lonzo Ball. And, Jake, I don't know if you're seeing it as much as I am, but I see this You know, every couple of minutes, whether it's on Twitter or their social media or the radio shows. Is Lonzo Ball really a, a possibility that he's traded before he ever plays a game in New Orleans?
4: Yeah, you know, I think anyone on this roster right now, other than Drew Holiday and Zion Williamson and maybe Frank Jackson is kind of eligible to be traded at this point. I think they're kind of going through the motions of just acquire assets. I know they're high on Lonzo Ball internally. Alvin Gentry certainly thinks... He can fit the style of play that they want to do, that he can fit in the backcourt with Drew Holiday. But if you do have the option to maybe package him, the number four overall pick, for a player you like better or an all-star level player that's going to help you more next season, yeah, I think it's a possibility. I wouldn't say it's likely to happen, But I think right now anyone's potentially up for grabs for the right offer.
1: Um, Let's talk about the draft. Is the Pelicans still holding on to that number four pick? First, Jake, it, it seems the more we go along here that the Pelicans are losing a lot of leverage in regards to being able to trade back with that number four pick because it seems like everybody at the top of this draft wants to trade back.
4: Yeah, it, it certainly seems like that, but it also seems like the number four overall pick's kind of gaining some value over the past couple of hours and maybe days. It sounds like Darius Garland, the point guard out of Vanderbilt, has kind of been the high-riser, the guy climbing up draft boards, and everyone seems to want to maybe trade up and get him too. the Atlanta Hawks like him a little bit that's a guy who could be a very good shooter in the nba less of a pure point and more of maybe a court spacer at times um has some shades of damian lillard to his game so i think you know they're looking to make a move certainly going into next season new orleans doesn't want to carry three four five rookies on this team so even if they do trade down say with atlanta for either 8 10 or 17 they might then look to package those picks for something in the future. I think right now, like I said earlier, everything's kind of on the table. They kind of have a general idea of how they want to approach things next season. And that fourth overall pick doesn't really fit in, particularly because it is a three-person draft. So if you can get added value from it, this is a good year to trade out of the top five other than the Zion Williamson pick because the value just isn't there, and you might be able to recoup that and take advantage of an offer later down the line. It does
1: seem like there's like a coalescing of opinion that Darius Garland is that fourth pick. Garland, fantastic shooter, uh, like you mentioned. Um, would the Pelicans draft Garland when they have Lonzo? And I don't exactly know how that rotation would look when you have Lonzo, Drew, and Darius Garland on this roster.
4: No, it's, it's a very valid question. You have a lot of ball handlers, and I throw Frank Jackson into the mix too because I believe they see him as part of the core in the future of this team going forward. And that's a lot of guards with overlapping skill sets. So maybe they draft Garland at four, say they don't move the pick, just to take best player available, and then maybe see if you move him during the summer or during the season next year. And just kind of figure it out it's always better to have more talent than less talent particularly for a rebuilding team but they also could go for a guy like jared culver at four who's gonna fill a lot of what they're looking to do that's a guy who's gonna have a good shot in the nba i think it translates more than a guy like deandre hunter he's kind of a team first guy he doesn't need the ball in his hands he's a multi-position defender he rebounds well enough he passes well enough and that could be a guy that just kind of fits what you're looking to do. So the Pelicans at four right now have a number of options. You can go best player available, get the talent in, or really start thinking about the long term with Diane Williamson and the guys that you're looking to put around him.
1: It's Jake Madison of the Locked on Pelicans podcast hanging out with us here on the last lap. And you referenced this here. A little bit ago that the pelicans you know they're going to be looking to put shooters around zion williamson outside of darius garland who are those guys maybe you know in the top 15-ish if they do trade back with atlanta or chicago or somebody else
4: you know there's a couple of guys obviously jared culver's one you have a guy like deandre hunter both of them are expected to go in the top 10 somewhere in the draft in various orders i think it kind of gets a little bit muddled between say 4 and 15 and Uh, The players are largely the same type of caliber. Um, So they could look to bring, you know, those guys in. You have uh, the guy out of Gonzaga, Rui Hakamura, who's a pretty good shooter and came on as a stretch big. I think he has potential to really maybe land in New Orleans, go somewhere in the top 15. But I think they might look to address shooting in free agency or on the trade market. I don't know if they're just looking to add a shooter through the draft. You want someone who has maybe a little bit more versatility, who does a couple of other things well in the NBA. There's also rumors that maybe Joe Harris of the Brooklyn Nets is going to be available. This is one of the best shooters in the league right now, and you could he could be had for maybe a late first-round pick. So if you do trade with, say, Atlanta and you get the 17th overall pick, maybe you trade it to the Nets where it was originally for Joe Harris, which would be kind of funny in some weird way with that. So there's a lot of just moving pieces to things right now, but shooting is definitely going to be on the Pelicans' mind because you want to space the court properly for Zion Williamson the NBA is going to be a little bit tougher for him. I expect him to struggle maybe for the first half of next season. But if you can put a lot of space around him, it's going to ease him into the NBA. That goes a long way towards helping his development. So shooters and adding them to the Pelicans is definitely an important thing.
1: Oh, well, it seems like Brandon Ingram's development is is massive for this franchise because if he can play that three and be a 6'9 guy who can light it up from the outside, uh, remember everybody listening, he shot nearly 40% during his rookie year. If he develops into that, isn't that going to help uh, this entire franchise? And- and help Zion Williamson create that space that you're talking about?
4: Then you'd be looking at him to be a long-term piece with New Orleans. This is probably the most talented player coming over from Los Angeles, Brandon Ingram, but he hasn't quite put it together as that court spacer that you need. And right now when you look at his game, I have serious questions about his fit next to zion williamson but if he develops that three-point shot he fits a whole lot better he relies a little too much on his mid-range game he likes to take those long twos which are really not the type of shot you want very inefficient basketball and it's going to create uh, spacing issues for Zion Williamson I think Zion does well with very little space he had no shooters around him at Duke really whatsoever there were often four guys in the paint just trying to stop him he still managed to score around all of that but NBA players are better than what he was going up against on a nightly basis at Duke so you've got to have Brandon Ingram develop that he's a good free throw shooter which makes you think he could develop into a good uh, perimeter shooter but that's really the biggest hole in his game right now but if If he figures that out, New Orleans is going to have a stud at the small forward position for a number of years. A guy who can get you buckets, who has multi-positional versatility on the defensive side of the ball, and he could be really, really good. But it's really dependent on him developing that long stroke.
1: I've seen this floating around the city today, and I think into yesterday. And admittedly, I'm not sure if you've talked about this or not. But the Pelicans, you know, with with the excess supply of teams uh, wanting to trade back, that maybe they're interested in actually trading up to the two or three pick and specifically drafting RJ. Barrett Uh, would he fit well alongside Zion even though they are very similar in their game similar size similar position
4: you know I go back and forth on this I have RJ Barrett and John Morant pretty close you know almost tied for the second best prospect in this draft but you watch a lot of RJ Barrett at Duke where he was Zion Williamson's teammate and it just leaves you wanting more and particularly when Zion Williamson was out he could just not carry the load for that Duke team but with Zion, he still put up tremendous numbers, numbers that are making him a top three pick in the draft. He's got a ceiling maybe of James Harden, a guy who can really create his own shot, who could develop into a good three point shooter. I don't know if New Orleans trades up to get him. I think he'd be giving up too much for a guy who has a bit of a boomer bust feel for, um, in him to me. But if he's there at four and the Knicks take. Darius Garland at three, I think New Orleans would snap him up in a second or that trade talks for that fourth overall pick are going to get really hot at that point because there's a number of teams that are really high on him. But if you do end up with him on this roster, along with Zion Williamson, you have the core of this team set for almost a decade. It seems like at least seven or eight years. And you've got to feel pretty good about that coming out of draft night.
1: Uh, Jake Madison's hanging out with this. You know, positionless basketball, that's the new catchphrase in the NBA as you have undersized teams really becoming the norm uh, across the league. Are the Pelicans going to build it this way? Or are they going to look to draft or bring in guys who have some size to play alongside Zion? And, and if they trade down, maybe that's a guy like uh, Bull bowl, Bull, bowl, or, or maybe even a guy like uh, Rui Hachimura, who you mentioned, I think is a 6'10 or so, and can play like a stretch four position. Or are they just going to go and build this around Zion and, and not really worry too much about the size around him?
4: You know, I, I think initially they're going to try and add some size and someone who can kind of take the bigger, bruisier centers of the NBA. I have no doubt Zion can defend them on a regular basis when he kind of gets into the NBA, acclimates to that a little bit more. I just don't think you want to kind of subject him to that punishment right off the bat, though he has very good size um, for his frame. So look to bring in a center that can really defend the rim. Let Zion Williamson roam a little bit more. This is a guy who's excellent at getting in the passing length, poking the ball loose, grabbing that steal, and then running in transition. He can't do that as much if he's stuck below the basket guarding centers. And so maybe you eliminate some of the better aspects of him defensively. But if you do get a rim protector, which is what I think the Pelicans will look to do, I think that kind of frees him up to be that menace on defense. Just makes it easier for him, which only is going to help his development as he becomes comes in NBA All-Star got to keep in mind if they do end up trading down would be Jackson Hayes, the center out of Texas, who I think is just an excellent rim-running big. This is a guy who can go up, get a lob, throw it down. is excellent in the pick and roll and also defends the rim really well. I'm just kind of salivating at the idea of Zion Williamson as the ball handler and Jackson Hayes rolling to the rim and they can just throw lobs back and forth to each other. Would be a lot of fun. Rui um, Hakamura is definitely another one that I think can do as well. You need a big that can maybe shoot the three just so the paint's not clogged for Zion Williams. And he's one of them. Look for them to maybe make a run at a guy like Brooke Lopez in free agency too, who showed tremendous value to the Milwaukee bucks. They're going to make a strong effort to re-sign him or even a guy, you know, like Nikola Mirotic if he's open to coming back to new Orleans, the uh, kind of defender and big that can stretch the court. But, They'll protect the rim is really what you're looking for, but eventually, I think you'll go with a much smaller lineup with Zion playing the five, two, or three years down the line.
1: Uh, don't tease me with Ruri Hachimura, by the way, because he's a Gonzaga no, Bulldog. a
4: Gonzaga and... guy, <laughs> so there's, <laughs> there's a chance. Look, an, another guy I think uh, that the Pelicans are high on, that a lot of teams are high on, the other guy that's kind of flying up draft boards, other than Darius Garland, is Brandon Clark, uh-huh. the other big from Gonzaga who does a number of things really well, can defend out on the perimeter, so keep an eye on him as well.
1: Yeah, he reminds me a lot of, and I know this is kind of blasphemous, you're talking about a Hall of Fame guy, but he does remind me a lot of Draymond Green. He has that size and athleticism and can defend, you know, one of the best defenders in college basketball. One more for you, Jake. Uh, This is kind of floated around on Sports Talk, and we're keeping that uh, topic going here. Uh, When do you think the Pelicans are are building this to become a, a championship contender? How far down the road should fans have their expectations? on this team turning into that championship contender around Zion?
4: You know, that's a a really good question. And just trying to kind of project out, which is tough because there's so many things that are outside of their control. It depends on what the Warriors do, guys coming back healthy for other teams or not. I think you're still looking at two or three years down when all of a sudden this team's going to go from being a team that can get into the first round of the playoffs but get bounced out to being a team that goes – Oh man, they might make a run here. I think it's two or th- probably three or four years as Zion's getting closer to that second contract. Guys really start impacting a team's win total three years into the league if they're that good. It takes still another step up to kind of hit that next level. But by then, the Pelicans are going to have a lot of flexibility, hopefully, to have those bevy of assets from the Lakers that you can then make a move for a guy that is a difference maker. Look at what the Philadelphia 76ers did. They bid their time for a number, a number of years, just accumulating assets, draft picks, young guys, different things like that. And then they struck when they thought the time was right, which was this past season. And they took, the Toronto Raptors to game seven and were the team that came closest to beating them on their championship run. They did that because they had assets to trade for Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler in a one month period. The Pelicans are positioned to do that. So when Zion's really starting to come into his own, maybe you see a superstar on another team that wants out, you can make a move for him then too, or another one as well. If you have that many assets, it's going to take two or three years, four years for them to accumulate the assets and have the flexibility to do that and to find guys that maybe will complement Zion Williamson or for Zion Williamson to even grow in the player that you do want to complement. It's going to end up happening. I'm that high on Zion coming into this draft, but let's give it three years before we really start talking title contention.
1: Hey, there you go. I'm with you. Jake Madison, host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. Be sure you catch up with his daily podcast, LockedOnPelicans.com, Apple Podcasts, however get your podcasts as we head on into the NBA draft in just a couple of days. Uh, Jake, thanks so much, man. We'll probably talk to you on draft night. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on, Seth. All right. We'll open up the phone lines now for you, 504-260-1870. That's 504-260-1870. We can talk Zion. We can talk NBA draft. Anything you want to talk around the Pelicans, give us a call, and you can text us at 870-870. The last lap continues next on WWL. he even plays a game for the pelicans bad shooting not going to reach his potential undersized i don't <laughs> it's, it's confusing and it would be one thing if it was just like one or two people but it's just a slew of texts and we got some phone calls on this also our blue runner gumbo opinion poll at wwl.com how confident are you in pelicans head coach alvin gentry split vote here 33% saying kind of, 27% he's all right, 27% not at all, 13% saying I'm completely confident. We'll watch that one. Usually these polls and votes are very lopsided. Not so tonight. If you've been paying attention to the College World Series, everything rained out in Omaha today, so they're going to have a triple header tomorrow in Omaha. The only team right now that has advanced to the semifinals is the Michigan Wolverines who become... Under the Cinderella or maybe Cinderella B next to the Florida State Seminoles. 504-260-1870. Our text line is 87870. Back wrapping up this hour, hour one of the last lap on WWL. Are the Boston Celtics word. From the last couple of hours, I think the Ringer first reported it. The Celtics are preparing for life after Kyrie Irving and Al Horford. Both of those guys expected to leave in free agency, sources have told, both the Ringer and now the Athletic. So it looks like some major problems in Boston right now who have seen their offseason plans and their years-long goal to get Anthony Davis now fall apart lakers meanwhile they are flailing we'll get to that next hour <laughs> trying to figure out a way to put more talent around lebron james and anthony davis with their salary cap restrictions they have about 23 and a half million dollars in cap space currently not enough to sign a max guy and well, heck maybe not enough to really get them the depth that they would need to realistically compete for a title we'll get to that next hour We've got some people on the phone lines. Uh, Hold on if you're on the phone lines. We'll get to your calls next hour. And we're going to talk NBA draft next hour. We'll we'll dive deep with Kyle Boone, who's an NBA draft expert for CBS Sports. I want to know who he thinks are the top prospects outside of the Big Three and who the Pelicans might target, whether that's with the four pick or if they move back a little bit to put talent around. Zion Williamson. We're going to go live on Facebook right now. We do this at 9 o'clock every day, so like the WWL Radio Facebook page. Head on over there, and then we're going to talk about who the Pelicans could target with that four pick. And mainly, I want to so bookmark your calendar. This is where you need to be Thursday from 4 to 9 p.m. for the NBA draft. And The Pelicans have been linked to moving up possibly all the way to the number two overall pick today, which... Had me scratching my head a little bit because the number two pick everybody has expected since the lottery would be Memphis taking Ja Morant. And all the reports and sources have said that Memphis is extremely high on Ja. I don't really understand why now Ja is, I guess, just some dude to the Memphis Grizzlies, because there's been multiple reports today that the Pelicans, ah, maybe they're working with Memphis to swap up for with Memphis, not to draft Ja Morant, but to draft R.J. Barrett. I mean, you want to talk about a heel turn during the 11th hour, this is it. Now R.J. Barrett is a, a better prospect than Ja Morant. And markedly so, where you're going to trade up over the three pick to grab uh, grab R.J. Barrett? I don't know. Had me scratching my head a little bit. Maybe this is just the old, well, we got to write about something. The NBA draft's coming up, but it was more than just one person writing about this today. Now, they have the number four overall pick, talking about the Pelicans. We we don't know what they're going to do with that. We were sp- certainly believe more than believe I think we know that they want to trade out of that spot we talked about an hour one the reason they want to trade out of that spot is the consensus is now the best player outside of the big three John Moran R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson is a guy named Darius Garland he's a 6'2 freshman from Vanderbilt who can shoot the lights out from three-point range he shot just under 50 percent shot about 48 percent from three during his rookie season at Vanderbilt, averaged over 16 points a game. He can be a guy who can stretch the floor and space the floor for Zion Williams, who, who, Williamson, who is just sensational in penetrating and getting to the bucket. Remember, Zion shot 68% from the floor. That's because with his physicality and strength inside, he's just unstoppable when he wants to get to the basket. And that's going to be a little different in the NBA when he's matched up against guys of similar, similar strength and stature. But once he develops a little bit, that's still going to be his game, much like it is LeBron. Uh, When LeBron wants to get to the bucket, he's unstoppable now with that size and strength. And Zion is much stronger at this point. Body's more filled out than LeBron James was early in his career. So Darius Garland would be intriguing, but here's the problem with, with Darius, is that, well, he plays the point guard spot. You just traded for Lonzo Ball. And you also have drew holiday at the two you got frank jackson on this roster maybe alfred payton will be here you're just overloaded at that point guard position now that lonzo ball is here would they make a move with lonzo and bring in darius garland maybe i don't see that happening especially when you have multiple teams who are picking behind you very open that they want to trade up in the draft and they want to grab a guy like Darius Garland because they have the big need at the point guard spot. Teams like Chicago, who's got pick seven. Teams like Atlanta, who have picks eight and ten. So if it's not Darius Garland, the, the guys that I would stay away from that are expected to go in the top ten or so of this draft, close your ears, plug your ears, Andrew Doke. Uh, who's a Texas Tech grad, I'm I'm not a fan of Jarrett Culliver on this roster with the Pelicans. Can't shoot the three. Got a mid-range game. He is a, an elite defender, but he doesn't project to be a, a an elite score at this level. And because he plays that, he's either going to play the two, but if you got Drew Holiday here, he's going to play the three, so he's going to play the, the small forward spot if, if Jarrett Culliver came in play the two and the three well that's a spot that you've gotten Brandon Ingram so you're going to kind of overload at that spot too same to a lesser extent with Cam Reddish the the freshman from Duke much like Jared Culver not the defender Culver was You got Colby White point guard from North Carolina he's basically out they're not going to trade back and grab Colby White I saw that on the text line I think they grab Colby White no I like Colby White but not with the Pelicans deandre hunter's interesting deandre hunter's the one guy he's a 6 7 small forward from virginia just won the national title and again elite level defender got length he's big at 225 and 6 7 he can shoot the three shot 44 from three so he can stretch you at the three spot he can also play the two in spell of drew holiday if you need he would be a little more intriguing to me mainly because he's He's got a better mid-range and outside game than guys like Culver, certainly R.J. Barrett. Once you get into the teens, this is where it gets interesting, and this is where I'm starting to believe that the Pelicans are looking to move back to, not to 7, not to 8, but get back into, you know, picks 10 uh, through 20 if possible. Don't know if it's exactly uh, possible. Maybe it is with Boston if they're going to try to move up with all the news coming out. Remember, they have pick 14. You've got – Rui Hachimura, 6'9", power forward, stretch four, where you could go small ball with Zion and Rui, Brandon Ingram, Drew, and Lonzo Ball. Rui can shoot the three. He can defend. He averaged 20 points a game. He's physically he's big. He can rebound. He checks all the boxes, and he's a high-IQ basketball guy. You want to go back a little further, and you want more size, Bull Bull's an option, but Bull Bull isn't expected to be drafted until the late teens, early 20s, so you'd be reaching, even at pick 14 from the Celtics, certainly with pick 10 from Atlanta. Very interesting draft. For the Pelicans, you have needs at the center spot. In the center, I know, technically, the, the old school, you don't think of the center spot as the old, old school center, but you want a guy who can defend, rebound, and be a shot blocker on the interior who plays that. Five position doesn't have to be a seven foot guy anymore but it's got to be a guy, again, you could throw Zion and Rui Hachimura out there at your 4-5, and and it'd be a pretty formidable duo. Brandon Clark's another guy. He was the best shot blocker in college basketball. He's a little undersized, but again, undersized isn't that big of a red flag anymore at the NBA. He's got a similar, and I'm not trying to compare him to Draymond Green, but he's got a similar skill set to Draymond Green when he came out. Doesn't shoot the 3 as well as Draymond did, but he's an elite rebounder. He's an elite defender. He's maybe the most athletic player outside of those top three guys in this draft and he's shooting up the draft charts the mock drafts and he's expected to go anywhere between about pick nine and pick 12 those are some of the guys you could see the pelicans target just did a facebook live video if you miss it over on the wwl radio facebook page go check it out i asked you who do you want to see him draft who do you want to see him target you can text us at 870-87 if you've got an idea. You can also give us a call at 504-260-1870. That's area code 504-260-1870. Here's a text from the 318. Maybe Memphis thinks they can trade back to four and still get Ja if we're moving up for Barrett and the Knicks like Garland, similar to when the Celtics traded back and got Tatum. Yeah, I, I don't see anybody that, that would truly think that Darius Garland is a better NBA prospect than Ja Morant. I just, I don't. And in my mind, that would be an exceptionally bad evaluation of those players. Ja is an elite passer. He's elite in the open court. And in college, yes, he played at a small college at Murray State, but he also can light up the scoreboard. He checks almost all the boxes, and he's got some size. I don't, I don't know Ja, who is six three, six four. 6'3", 6'4". I don't. I don't think you're going to see teams you know, looking to draft Darius Garland over John ja Morant. We'll take a break. When we come back, Kyle Boone, college basketball writer for CBS Sports, comes on into the show. We'll break down the NBA draft and how we might see it work out at the top and middle part of the draft come Thursday. The last lap rolls on, WWL.
0: trying to move up the draft and uh, i think they have the assets to eventually do that uh they have they have the eighth pick the 10th pick the 17th pick and uh the pelicans seem like a potential trade partner there because they have the fourth pick and i think the the hawks are trying to move up so uh, i think that is one interesting potential scenario that could unfold uh either today or tomorrow or Thursday. Um, where a team tries to move up to that fourth pick, because I think there's a lot of value there.
1: Yeah, and the fourth pick, it seems like the consensus is now that Darius Garland, maybe the fourth best player in this draft, I don't know how well he'd fit for the Pelicans, right, Kyle, because they just have an, now a wealth of guys at that point guard spot and even at the two spot. Um, if, if the Pelicans stay at the, the four, would they draft Darius Garland? Is there somebody else that would be a good fit and good value there?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people probably eventually landed on the fact that Darius Garland was the fourth guy in this draft, um, in part because the Lakers had held that number four pick for so long. But, you know, if, if I'm the Pelicans and I'm keeping this pick at number four, I'm taking Jarrett Colbert, the, the the shooting guard out of Texas Tech. Um, he's a multifaceted shooting guard. He can score off the dribble. Um, he can score in spot-up situations. And he's a guy who's a really versatile defender. So, I think it make a lot of sense for the Pelicans. Obviously, they have Rondo Ball, they have Drew Holiday. They're set at point guard. They don't need another point guard. Uh, so drafting Darius Garland, I think, would would kind of be a fool's gold. So I would go ahead and take Culver uh, at number four if they stay at this spot.
1: So Culver was somebody I just mentioned, and I said it concerns me his lack uh, of the ability to stretch the floor because he doesn't shoot the three very well. That's not a concern to you, uh, Kyle.
0: No, I'm I'm still buying into his shot. I think the the story is uh, somewhat untold with Culver, but the short story is that Culver was a small role player as a freshman, but his small role, he was really good as a three-point shooter and basically a floor spacer for Texas Tech. In his second season at, at Texas Tech as a sophomore, he was basically thrust into a role that he was not expected to play Um, was tasked with primary initiating responsibilities. He was their guy, and they they lost a guy, Zaire Smith, to the NBA draft that they didn't expect to lose. And he had a huge lull, and and obviously we saw some of his efficiency drop off just a little bit, but his shot's good. If you look at his mechanics, I think it's really nice, and I think it still translates to the NBA level. So, you know, if he's going to play a lesser role, and obviously I would anticipate he would do that with the Pelicans, um, I think I'm buying into a shot long-term.
1: It's Kyle Boone of CBS Sports talking NBA draft with us here on the last lap. Speaking of shots and, and, you know, funky mechanics, we've had a lot of people push back and and, and I think a little bit unwarranted here, the level when we've seen pushback on our show today about Zion Williamson having issues shooting the basketball. The dude was a 70% shooter, even shot 33% from three. Uh, is, is it a concern about uh, his shot at the college level and how that might translate to the NBA game?
0: I think there's maybe a little bit of concern you know his if you look at his release and where it is actually being shot from it it doesn't look quite natural I mean if you compare it to a couple of his teammates like RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish um, you know I think the release there is uh, by far the ugliest of all of his teammates but the the results are pretty good right I think he was the best actually three-point shooter on that Duke team and they struggled to shoot the three, but his perimeter shooting struggles, I think, are totally overblown. He was actually kind of emerged as one of their best uh, outside shooting weapons last season at Duke. Yeah, the mechanics don't look great, uh, but the results are good, and I think he's still really kind of a work in progress there. He's not going to be, you know, the the primary shooter from uh, from the perimeter just because his game kind of translates to the post, but. And we, when he's out there, he can stretch the floor. I think that is uh, a little bit of a misconception there about Zion and his his game on the perimeter.
1: There's a lot of guys that play the uh, the 1, 2, and 3 at the top of this draft. The Pelicans are likely looking to add some size and beef around Zion Williamson. Some of those guys, Kyle, looks like they're going to be drafted anywhere from you know 10 to 15, Jackson Hayes, maybe Brandon Clark, Rui Hatchimura. Any of those guys you think would fit well alongside Zion?
0: Brandon Clark would be a really really interesting fit um, I like Zion Williamson just because he could play I think he can play one two three four and five I don't think I'm that crazy his ball handling skills in his passing his vision are really really impressive and he could be a, a really elite small ball center in my eyes but you get Brandon Clark a guy who's a power forward who's super athletic does a lot of the dirty things he's a good shot a shot blocker a good rim protector i think that'd be a really really nice fit and you know i think clark will be available somewhere around that 10 11 12 range
1: we've had a lot of people ask about bull bull seems like his stock's dropping i think the, the a couple of the mock drafts i saw today had him in the 20s
0: yeah vol bull bol is an
1: interesting one
0: because his his
1: talent is so
0: obvious i think most people think that he's probably one of the most talented prospects in this class but you know, there's a number of factors that have kind of shot down his draft stock overall. Um, he's only 208 pounds, and for you know, a guy who's seven foot two, that's not great. His center of gravity is a little bit concerning. He runs uh, pretty well for the most part, but he only played nine games at Oregon, and I think that's a huge factor. He had a foot injury that cut short his season. Um, I think there's some durability concerns. There's some concerns about his motor. That have tanked his stock a little bit, but uh, if you watch this guy play, he's got—he's a seven-foot-two guard who can shoot the ball well and protect the rim, and I think that's kind of a, a unicorn mix of talent and skills. Uh, I don't know if it's going to translate to the NBA level. He doesn't defend well in space. He's not the most mobile of big men in the draft class, but he is certainly an interesting guy. Who I—you know—I think he's probably going to go somewhere in the twenties. Uh, it'll it'll be interesting to kind of see how his NBA career unfolds.
1: Uh, where do you think the LSU guys go? It looks like Nas Reed has completely fallen off the first round uh, draft boards and mock drafts, from what I've seen.
0: Yeah, I think I think Nas Reed is is probably somewhere in that early second round range. Um, I think it's just going to depend on you know who wants to take a chance on him. I, I really like Nas Reed as a prospect, and I I think I'm a little bit probably higher on him than some others. Uh, Tremont Waters, I think, is is uh, actually kind of been a, a late riser at the draft process. In my eyes, I thought he did really well at the combine. Uh, ran the floor well, you know, did, did the things that he did at LSU. Um, did them all well at the combine. And if someone's looking for kind of an experienced veteran point guard who makes good decisions, he can shoot the ball, he can run your offense, potentially second unit. Um, I think he adds a lot of value. He's a guy who I think is probably going to be a steal in that mid forties range.
1: Kyle Boone, NBA draft and college basketball writer for CBS Sports. He's on Twitter at Kyle, double underscore Boone. Kyle, appreciate the time. And enjoy the draft on Thursday. There you yep, go. You got it. All right. Thanks, Kyle. And so we're going to take a break. Coming back with your calls after the 60-second break. Line them up, 504-260-1870. What do you think the Pels do in this draft? Who do you like in this draft? 504-260-1870. Text line. See, there you go. Kyle Boone slapped me down on my uh, Jarrett Culver. I I don't hate Jarrett Culver at all. I think he's going to be a good NBA player. I just don't know his fit here with New Orleans. But Kyle Boone's saying, be a great fit alongside Zion Williamson. So there you go. For all you Texas A&M fans out there. Can't wait till Thursday. And there's so much uncertainty in this draft. And I guess there's there's uncertainty now, even at uh, number two and number three, which is... A little incredible to me as just for months, really since the NCAA tournament started, we have thought since then that Zion Jaw, and RJ Barrett would go one, two, three, and now there's some skepticism about that. A lot of times when that happens around draft time, it's these teams trying to make give themselves a little leverage, create a little uncertainty behind them for teams drafting behind them. But I, I would still be a little bit stunned if it doesn't work out in that order. Here is a text from the 985. Seth, all this giddy talk about amazing player option presented by the Pelicans draft possibilities remind me of the kid whose parents got him everything he wanted for Christmas, then who, after feverishly opening all of his presents with unbridled excitement, decided to play with his new found favorite things amidst the strewn items on the floor. Well, that was a very long text. And that was, uh, did not translate good to radio. So uh, to make it a shorter text from 985 and I'll, maybe I'll understand it. Uh, text from the 985. Sorry, Seth, this hands-free talking doesn't always work. I was trying to say, can you mention on air, if there is a three-point shooter like Steph Curry in this draft, well, I'll stop you right there. There is not a three-point shooter like Steph Curry on the planet. And there never has been. So the answer to that is no. Uh, <laughs> without being too facetious to your answer, the guy that we've been talking about all night, it's it's uh, Darius Garland who shot 48% from 3 in college. He is going to be, you would expect a sensational three-point shooter for a very long time in the NBA, a guy who can stretch the floor a little bit like maybe a, you know a JJ Redick type who's going to spend his entire NBA career averaging, you know, around 20 points a game when he develops because he can shoot the three so well. Between, you know, 15 and 20 points a game. Maybe Garland is the guy. Maybe Garland is the guy, regardless of the the people in that position that you already have on this roster. Well, if you'd like to see the Rolling Stones in concert here in New Orleans, we've been telling you about it all the last couple of weeks, that we've got a couple of tickets that you can win. The Stones are bringing their no-filter tour to New Orleans on July 14th, just after Essence Fest at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. And We want you to be there. We've got the tickets. We're talking really good seats, too. Lower bowl section, plaza section for your Saints fans valued at over $500 a pair. Here's how you can enter to win those. Go to wwl.com/contest to register to win by midnight on June 30th. One lucky person is going to win. See the Rolling Stones in concert, once in a lifetime opportunity for you. Again, wwl.com/contests. Text from the 985 Pick Hunter at 4th lol. I don't think that you need to lol at that. You're talking about DeAndre Hunter who I really like, almost to the point of love. DeAndre Hunter, the small forward out of Virginia, won a national championship, elite defender, can shoot the three, 44% from three this last year, just over 15 points a game, great teammate, very versatile, a little bit older, 21 years old, but that older might be a good thing for the Pelicans when you want to have some guys who maybe are already developed a little bit that you can play alongside Alonzo and Brandon Ingram already have a couple of years in the league apiece. Hunter might be, I'm not going to say it's a reach at four because there's there's just a little separation between anybody after the top three in my mind. So if you pick him at four, I'm not going to classify that as a reach, but it does seem like you could trade back with either Chicago or Atlanta and you're likely going to have an opportunity to draft DeAndre Hunter there and you might pick up an extra draft pick or two. I do like DeAndre Hunter a lot, though. Right now, I had CBS Sports mock draft. We're just talking to the CBS Sports guy, Kyle Boone. Got DeAndre Hunter going at number eight. Text from the five hundred four. Seth, great show, thank you. Pelicans should draft the fourth pick and Lonzo Ball. Excuse me, Pelicans should package the fourth pick and Lonzo Ball to send to Phoenix for Devin Booker. I've heard some people suggest that. I've also heard some people saying, you know, package Lonzo. And that fourth pick for a variety of guys, including you know Bradley Beal, I don't think that they're going to do that. I don't think you you package two guys that you would have six and eight years of team control with. Lonzo's got six, a guy you drafted number four, or anybody you draft in this first round would have eight years of team control. I don't think you're gonna you're gonna flip that for somebody who has, you know, might be out of here by the time that the Pelicans are ready to compete for a championship. That's what this all goes to, and you're probably going to get tired of me saying it, but I'm just so passionate about it, and I believe this so firmly, that you cannot trade for players, bring players in when you're sending players or draft picks away, young players and draft picks away, to bring in guys who only have two, three, four years of team control left before they hit unrestricted free agency because we just got to be honest about the situation here in New Orleans. I mean, we do. Unrestricted free agents just have not wanted to re-sign here. Almost a blanket statement. Now, when you talk about max-level type free agents, they've never wanted to stay here. Bradley Beal is going to be a max-level free agent why so I wouldn't want to see him here. Now Drew, he resigned, wasn't a max level guy, loved New Orleans. If you build it, if if you see players who believe that the Pelicans have a championship foundation in place where if they resign they could compete for titles, sure that might happen. But remember, the sooner you're resigning guys, the sooner that you might have to go up towards the salary cap or into the luxury tax area to resign. And yes, Gail Benson is indicated and David Griffin has, that if they are close to championship contention, they'd be willing to go into luxury tax and pay luxury tax, but that doesn't mean they're going to go Golden State levels into luxury tax or Boston Celtics level when they had um, the big three up there with uh, Ray Allen and and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. Doesn't mean the Pelicans don't have those kind of financial resources. 504-260-1870. 504-260-1870. Our text line is eight seventy eight seventy. And our Blue Runner Gumbo Opinion Poll, how confident are you in Alvin Gentry? You can cast your vote at dot radio.com app. We'll update that towards the top of the hour. We'll take a break when we come back more of a national perspective on the AD trade and the draft, as we'll talk to Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports when we come back on W. Our Blue Runner Gumbo Opinion Poll, wwl.com How confident are you in Alvin Gentry, who just had his contract extended yesterday? Only 11% are saying they're completely confident. 32%, not at all. 29% kind of, 29% he's all right. I, I would probably fall in the kind of category. I am kind of confident in Alvin Gentry. I think his system projects to fit well, really well, with Lonzo Ball and Zion Williamson, but we've got to actually see it happen. So that's why I would say kind of. I don't know how you'd be completely confident in Alvin Gentry considering he's only made the playoffs in his, what, 14 seasons as head coach in the NBA? Text from the 985, Lonzo must be feeling like a modern-day Aaron Burr, man without a country. No one wanting to have anything to do with him, a vagabond baller. It sounds like the Pelicans want something to do with him, though. Perhaps getting him out of the L.A. market, away from, for the most part, his... Very uh, boisterous dad, I guess is a kind way to put it. Probably going to do him wonders. Tomorrow on Sports Talk, a national sports writer says Pro Sports League should do away with drafts. Was the, eye of the dra- idea of the draft obsolete or is it essential to keeping parity in the pros? That's what Bobby and Christian will be talking about tomorrow, 4-8 to 8 on WWL. Two hours down, one to go here on the last lap. we got Mike Triplett, ESPN NFL Nation reporter. We're going to talk some Saints. Looks like they're ready to re-sign Michael Thomas and Teddy Cahill will talk some College World Series with us. Stay tuned. And we'll talk College World Series with Teddy, uh, Teddy Cahill. Second half of the hour, Little Women's World Cup too. We're going to transition away from Pelicans talk this hour. Haven't talked Saints at all this week yet, but back in focus today because Mickey Loomis was on Sirius XM Radio, the Adam Shine Show on Mad Dog Sports Radio, echoing what – Sean Payton said last week, we played the clip. Uh, Logan, see if you can pull up the Sean Payton clip that I sent last week, uh, him talking about Michael Thomas. Remember that? Uh, go ahead and see if you can pull that up. We'll play that here this segment, and we'll see what I'm talking about. But Sean Payton last week, unsolicited in a post-minicamp press conference, said, paraphrasing, that, well, they're ready to re-sign Michael Thomas. He's the next guy up. This was after Cam Thomas had signed his contract. And that was the first time we'd heard directly or indirectly from anybody within the Saints organizations about their desire to re-sign Michael Thomas. It's been an open question for a while now. Now that we've seen Michael Thomas develop into one of the best receivers in the National Football League, whether the Saints would be willing to make him the highest paid receiver in the NFL. And that's what Michael Thomas is going to want to be paid as and like. Odell Beckham right now? Highest paid receiver in the league, $18.5 million. Julio Jones also is a year away from getting an extension. So it'll either be Michael Thomas or Julio Jones that's up next. One of those guys likely going to be getting paid about $20 million a year, give or take a little bit. And whoever is first, the second guy, will be getting paid a little more. So from Michael Thomas's perspective, do you want to wait until Julio Jones signs a new contract and then you can go back to the Saints and say, well, I want to be paid more than Julio because I've frankly been better than Julio the last few seasons. Here's what Mickey Loomis said on uh, SiriusXM today. Quote, we've had some conversations, and I like keeping that close to the vest until there's something to report. But look, we love what Mike's done for us. He's a fantastic player, one of the best at his position in the league, and hopefully we can keep him a saint for a long time as well. So that's what he said basically hinting at hey we're we're negotiating we're working on it right now but we're not going to divulge what we're talking about now last week here's again we're going to play Sean Payton's comments to you I want to preface this by saying Sean Payton was asked about Michael Thomas and what he's doing at minicamp and how he's developing into a leader for the other young players on this roster instead of answering that directly Sean Payton well again unsolicited he talked about Michael Thomas's uh, contract here's what Sean Yeah, so uh, he'll be the next one, I'm sure. And you could see, and I don't want to rehash everything we talked about last week, we could see Sean Payton as soon as he said that, kind of thinking, well, I I might have let something slip here that I shouldn't have. And Sean Payton usually doesn't do that. But that was the first time we'd all kind of heard, and now that kind of became a story that, well, it looks like the Saints are actually willing to pay this guy. Diana Rossini, the outstanding reporter uh, for the um, NFL Network, she tweeted out today that the Saints, her sources have told her, the Saints are willing and ready to make Michael Thomas the highest-paid receiver in the NFL. I said NFL Network. She's the outstanding reporter for uh, ESPN. And after what happened last week, no surprise. Here's what Diana tweeted out at Diana ESPN. Contract extension negotiations between New Orleans and wide receiver Michael Thomas are progressing. Sources say Saints are comfortable making him the highest-paid receiver in the game. Hashtag Saints. And that is a step that we were unsure the Saints were willing to take. Now, just because the Saints are willing to make it happen doesn't mean it's necessarily the right move. But this was a lose-lose situation for New Orleans. Lose-lose as in, well, either they were going to make the entire fan base extremely unhappy and probably a significant portion of their locker room if they're not going to pay one of their own guys. That's a situation where you can really get yourself in hot water internally and start to dissolve the chemistry that you've you've kind of built this new look saints around stepping aside from that and the reason I say it's lose lose is well the teams that have put that much money into the wide receiver position they have never been a championship competitive well except one year And that was when Julio Jones made a Super Bowl with Atlanta as the highest paid receiver in the game a couple of seasons ago. Other than that, we've never even seen one of these highest paid receivers even make a Super Bowl in the last 25 years. The Saints haven't paid that position, top dollar, during the Peyton Loomis era. It looks like they're willing to finally do it now with Michael Thomas, as he is undoubtedly the best receiver that they've had during that time. Here is... Another concern with this, as it looks like it's going to happen, it's just a matter of when. Michael Thomas is under contract, say, for counting the season, five more years, and four of those, you're playing with a quarterback that you don't know enough about right now, whether that's Teddy Bridgewater or Tayson Hill or someone, somebody else. Not going to be worth $20 million? Some people would say, yes, you want a receiver like that to take pressure off a of young quarterback or a quarterback who you're trying to develop into your franchise guy others would say no that's a waste of money when you're trying to rebuild the team a little bit in the post Drew Brees era this is going to be a fascinating test it would almost be like the New England Patriots all of a sudden willing to pay one of their receivers this kind of money when Tom Brady is getting ready to walk out the door or the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers entering kind of the twilight of his career. They haven't paid receivers that kind of money either. Hasn't worked before in the NFL. Will it work in New Orleans? I guess we'll find out, but it certainly looks like it's just a matter of time before you know you get that news alert or the tweet popping up that says Saints have re-signed Michael Thomas to a long-term deal, making him the highest-paid receiver in the league. We'll take a break. When we come back, Mike Triplett joins us to talk about this. ESPN's NFL Nation reporter. That discussion comes your way next. Stay tuned here on The Last live Show. And here's a text from the 985 at eight seventy eight seventy. 870 We can put the Beal trade talks to rest since it's rumored the Wizards plan to extend him to a three-year, $111 million contract. Well, good. I don't want to hear any more of this Bradley Beal to New Orleans nonsense. Get out of here with all this, young vets young vet strategy we spent a decade with dell demps trying to sell us on the young vet strategy and how that would work to build around anthony davis and win more games compete for a championship it's it failed in the most spectacular way possible and now we have some people chasing their tails thinking well you know young vet strategy uh didn't work with dell but maybe it'll work with griff like what come on come on let's go to the phone lines jay in new orleans you want to talk some saints what's going on
3: Slide anyway, Yeah, Slidell. No there you go. What's up? <laughs> well, um, I think the reason the Saints have finally decided to pay somebody like Michael Thomas is because they know they can't afford to be rolling the dice on bringing in, you know, somebody they get in the draft because this is Drew's last best opportunity to get another ring. Mm-hmm. And be it this year or maybe one more year, and then your chances start going way down, you know, and without somebody like Michael Thomas, you know, that, that, that you know, and, and also do you want somebody like Michael Thomas as a franchise tag player?
1: Yeah, that's you know. interesting, and that's well. That's what you could do. Remember, he's under contract this year, so him and Drew, right. you know, their, their contracts expire at the end of this year. And then, like you mentioned, you could franchise him if Drew comes back for one more year. He could, but I'm guessing you're insinuating, hey, maybe he wouldn't be happy playing uh, with that franchise tag.
3: Well, I know, I know, Drew Brees never wanted to be franchise tag yeah. again, you know. And I think the thing of it is, is th- the guy has shown you, you know, what kind of toughness and work ethic he has. And instead of, you know, letting that contract play out and then, you know, having to either franchise tag him or um, let other teams get a shot at him, you know, let's, let's, let's reward him now and hopefully he will continue to even get better. And this should be the year. I mean, think about it. The Saints have come so close the last two years. Sure. If not for the fiasco in Minnesota, they in probably end that, in that championship game. And if the Eagles beat the Patriots, then you don't think Drew could have beat the the, the Patriots? And as far as no, I I, I definitely
1: oh. do. Yeah, I definitely do, Jake uh, Jay. Um, I, I just uh, it's I guess it's a lose lose, right? Or it may, I, I, a lose lose as far as I'm not saying you know Michael Thomas is not worth being here, but either you're gonna have the fan base revolt and or the locker room revolt, or you're gonna have right. this albatross got, of a contract.
3: The, the the psychology of sports is is crucial here, and. I think that um I think that they get it now because you know for a long time they've let people like that go you know and um, I mean they kept they kept um Marcus Colston yeah and that's really the only one that they kept
1: not for big time there money though, right? Yeah, it's not for big time money. But Jay, uh, really appreciate the call. It's great stuff there. Uh, we got more calls to get to. I don't, look, and I'm, that's why one of the reasons why I've been very open about this. I'm not going to sit here on the air when this contract it seems like is going to happen. I'm not going to sit here and blast it, but I am going to point out that it just hasn't worked before paying a receiver that kind of money. That's that's fair to point out, but because I understand the reality that Mickey Loomis and this franchise is in right now with Michael Thomas, I don't think there's an easy answer here. Either it would have just gotten you know insanely ugly, like the Antonio Brown situation or Le'Veon Bell situation in Pittsburgh, or you just pay the guy and bite the bullet and hope that, hey, maybe you're the first team to actually make a – uh, you know, ten percent of the salary cap to a wide receiver work in a, in a championship sense. How about Derek and Gonzalez on the phone lines? What's up, Derek?
2: Hey, Seth, how you doing today? I'm good. Hey, I have two questions. uh My, my first question would be, I can listen to this one after I get off there. Could you tell me if uh, Haloi Kikaha is still playing with us? No. And now I want to touch up. Uh, he he didn't he play last year with or? him. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now, this is my other thing right here. You know, I'm, I'm kind of torn with the situation, what you're saying about the contract with Mike Thomas. But what I'm really upset about, that we gave Cameron Meredith all that money, man. When, I, when he first got it, I'm like, why would they pay him that kind of money? He wasn't really doing anything in Chicago. Now, he hasn't proved anything. And then you got Dan Arnold that can't even – hold on to the ball we probably would have had a chance to beat the rams if but what do you but I, wait hold
1: on here let back it up derek what do you mean to pay cameron meredith all this money he he's only he was only making he was making you know 2.7 million dollars last year and he'll make four million dollars this year but you if you know if, if you get to camp or through camping you don't think he's going to make the roster you could cut him and save three million of that or two and a half million of that I and mean, he's not making much money
2: okay well i'm sorry somebody at work so they had signed him for like five
1: years, 35 fans. Oh. oh, no, 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 Not with, Not with Cameron Meredith. And remember, before he got injured in Chicago, he was showing flashes of being one of the better young receivers in the NFL. Injuries derailed that. He was still injured last year. He's only 26 right now. And that's young enough where he can still develop. And the Saints will tell you, and the coaching staff will tell you, they really like the potential of Cameron Meredith. Don't know if he'll show that. But four and a half million. Well, it's four point what two? Four point one million is the cap hit this year. If they were to cut him, they could save around two million of that. I want to say one point five to two million of that. It's really not a big deal financially with Cameron Miller Meredith. It was a low risk, high reward signing. Right now, that reward hasn't come. I am. I'm fine with that. Fine with that. A couple of updates here. College World Series, uh, no games today. It all got rained out in Omaha, so you're going to have a triple header tomorrow, including Vandy-Mississippi State. You'll have Louisville-Auburn, which is a loser-out game, then one of the semifinals in the top half for bracket one, Florida State and Texas Tech. Top half of the bracket, you have Michigan already into their semifinals. They've won both of their games. They beat Florida State 2-0, shut them out yesterday. at Florida State-Texas Tech they will play um, – Looks like tomorrow at 6 o'clock, Vandy and Mississippi State. 1 p.m. tomorrow, Louisville and Auburn. Looks like Louisville is up 4-1 in the top of the fifth inning when that game will resume tomorrow uh, sometime in the morning. Looks like 11 a.m. Eastern time. I don't know if that's Eastern or Central time, but 11 a.m. No, it's uh, Central time. It is Central time, so it's 11 a.m. Central tomorrow. Women's World Cup rolls on. No USA today, but they have shut out both of their opponents so far. 16 goals for the U.S., no goals for their opponents. They're on into the knockout round. Uh, Today you had a couple of matches. Brazil shuts out Italy, 1-0 Australia, 4-1 over Jamaica. Tomorrow it's Japan and England and Scotland, Argentina. So you've got one match left uh, for... Uh, most of uh, the countries uh, in groups D E and F US are in uh, group F they'll play Sweden later this week that'll be for the you know the, the group win and the one seed into the knockout round uh, the United States and Sweden have already advanced uh, it looks like the Netherlands and Canada will play in group E for uh, the winner of that group And England and uh, Japan are battling uh, for Group D there. So, like I said with the Women's World Cup, I love the Women's World Cup, but the knockout stage, excuse me, the, the group play stage in the Women's World Cup just isn't nearly as exciting as the men's because you don't have the depth in the field in the Women's World Cup like you do in the men's field. You really only have six to eight countries that, if they got lucky, if they went on a run, could win World Cup, and you know, eight's the top in it's probably less than that. Realistically, you probably have about four this year. Uh, but the United States, once they get past uh, this group play, now Sweden's somebody who certainly would match up with them, and has a chance to beat them. Uh, so, this is a big match coming up later this week. Uh, the United States, though, uh, once it gets to the knockout round, that's when we'll really pay attention. It's going to be fun. And we'll pay attention to that much more closely when that happens. We'll take a break when we come back. Teddy Cahill of BaseballAmerica.com, college baseball writer there, is going to join us. We'll talk about what's going on over at Omaha. Haven't paid a lot of attention to it because we're talking so much Zion and Pelicans and NBA draft. But do want to know what's happening in Omaha. And you have the Cinderella, Michigan Wolverines. It's kind of tough to call Michigan the Wolverines a Cinderella in any sport. But they are here. Getting a lot of pub because of the diversity on that team beat Florida State earlier. We'll talk to Teddy K Hill about them and the entire field. By the way, bottom half of the bracket or bracket 2 in Omaha, you got 3 SEC teams remaining out of the four. So that's kind of the SEC bracket. Teddy K Hill next. One final text from the 504. We were talking Michael Thomas earlier. No receiver has been as dominant as Michael Thomas without a complimentary receiver next to him. I don't necessarily disagree with that, and that's why I think it is a kind of a catch-22 for the Saints. Kind of got to pay the guy, but if you do pay the guy, you might be in trouble from a salary cap perspective for the next handful of years. Well, second day in a row we didn't get to sports libs because uh, you know, I've done a terrible job of managing the clocks. Uh, we like to get to it. We're going to save them for tomorrow. I want to thank everybody who was part of the show today. Uh, Mike Triplett, Teddy Cahill, Jake Madison, and Kyle Boone, our guests. Also, uh, Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports on the program. Final look at our Blue Runner Gumbo Opinion Poll. How confident are you in Albert Gentry? 32% of our audience saying not at all. 11% saying completely, and the rest of the vote was split between likely and kind of. And I kind of fall where the rest of the split fell there. We'll be back tomorrow talking more NBA draft as we're less than forty-eight hours away from that. Cannot wait. If you missed any of the program, remember you can get it on demand via the podcast, WWL.com. Go to the on-demand section there, radio.com app. We've got a podcast. Or you can subscribe by Apple Podcasts. That's how I get a lot of my programs here on WWL. Thanks to Ron and Logan behind the glass. Thanks. To Tim Zimmer for booking the show today. Thanks to Diane Newman, our program director. Todd Manessis, our assistant program director. And Helen Santani for helping out today. Sports Talk tomorrow. We'll also will be talking about the NBA draft. That's 4 to 8 p.m. with Christian Garrick and Bobby Aber. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Seth Dunlap. We'll keep the conversation going there. And you can follow us at WWL WWLAMFM on Twitter. I'm Seth Dunlap handing it off now to Beyond Reality Radio. And as always, our moment is in last week. One more time. Remember, Sean Payton telling us a week ago. Yeah, are, are you are you ready to re sign Michael Thomas?